Here we are back once again with the Hole in My Heart podcast. Thanks for joining us. This is episode 16, Concern and Hope for the Church. Yes, we're talking the church today and we have another special guest. It is Professor Matt Tuninga. Thanks so much for being here. He's from Calvin Seminary. Yes, thank you very much for having me, Lori. It's uh, it's been good to be working with you lately, and good to have this conversation. Yeah, I'm really excited. He and I met. Um, we're in similar fields in the sense that I am not a professor. <laughs> However, <laughs> we are talking about we we talk about the church and we talk about the LGBT conversation and just how we as the church can be better as the church. And so I really appreciate his perspective. I love your gospel-centered focus and um, just wanted to talk with you. We were on a panel together uh, with Gary Burge and David Beelan, who's been on this podcast as well. And I just heard your heart, your your concern for the church as well as your hope for the church. And I was like, mm, I need to record that. Yeah. So I'm really excited. And producer Steve, your heart as well in this conversation. But before we go there to the heart of the matter, we're going to talk about our question of the week from last week, which classic, I forgot to toss to a question of the week last week. So I just, I know. (laughs) So while I was posting the podcast, I uh, just made one up, which is this. (laughs) (laughs) What is one way you want to be the church this holiday season? Um, So just thinking about like invite someone to share the holidays with you. We talked about this a lot when Greg Coles was on um, just like, and I'm just constantly challenged now just by my single friends, my LGBT mm. friends, uh, just how can I be, look more like the church? So how do you guys want to do that this holiday season, Christmas season? Well, first of all, there's somebody missing here on this episode oh, of the podcast. <laughs> I, just, yeah. I just noticed like, where's Matt Krieg? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Let, let's mention that. So we have El Matt on the podcast, right. a special guest, but we are grieving, lamenting, mm. if you will, if you yes. throw back to about episode four or five. <laughs> I don't know when we started getting real sad, right. uh, but we're missing Matt Krieg. He is in a fin- finance meeting, so oh. having all sorts of fun. Okay. So we'll see him next week. Great. Hear him next week. Anyway, so... Steve, to answer your question of the week, I, I'm, I'm really, I, I've been thinking about this a lot, hmm. and I have been convicted over the last few Christmases, yeah, just at um, how great I do at being the church at Christmas time, but it's sort of localized to that time huh. of the year, and huh. you know what I'm saying, yep. like because I feel like. I don't know, maybe the the industry I'm in or just, you know, the not to criticize my church, but my church does great at Christmas time. Right. At, you know, um, being hospitable, extending the gospel, making Jesus central. Right. That I think I want this to be characteristic of me, like around, you know, the rest yes. of the year as yep. well. Yep. And I know that uh, Christmas is special and that the, the calendar year does have rhythms to it. Mm-hmm. And so I, I don't want to, like, criticize um, that. But I do know in myself, mm-hmm. I kind of get this surge of Jesus focus at Christmas, Christmas and then kind of spirit. lose that a little bit. Yeah, yeah. I guess. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Yeah. No, that makes so much sense. Yeah. Uh, so it's more just like taking it from that season and, and infusing it throughout the year. What, what could you do? Like, I guess you could leave your Christmas lights up constantly and be one of those. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, I don't know. It would, would be say, like a reminder. I just I don't know. in my, I think probably in my own 
time with the Lord. Meditation. I, I spend more time, I think, at Christmas. I slow down. Yes. Because there's this focus. Don't get lost in the hustle and bustle. Slow yeah. down. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I feel like I, I need to be more, more intentional about slowing down and making room for Christ just in my, yep. you know, um, yep. tuning into him yep. um, throughout the rest of the year. Love that. How about you, Matt? Yeah, well, it's interesting because this was the first year since we got married that we decided not to travel for Christmas intentionally. Mm -hmm. And Christmas is kind of schizophrenic for us because we would go back and forth between my wife's family and my family. Mm. My wife's family are not Christians at all. Mm. So for them, Christmas was sort of very much the materialistic kind of Christmas, all about the gifts and all the secular stuff. Whereas my family is very religiously conservative and if anything was suspicious of all that stuff. Mm-hmm. So we would go back and forth from all the religions and no Santa Claus and downplay presence and all that one year to the opposite the next year. And we never really felt like we kind of like a little bit of both of that. So we, we never really felt like we could set the agenda for our own family. So this mm-hmm. year we decided we're just going to stay around, be more involved in the lives of people here that we're actually, you know, in community with the church that we go to rather than it be this frantic traveling across the country. Hmm. But then um, my sister decided that uh, in January she's picking up her family and going to Uganda. Whoa. So we thought, well, we better spend some time with them this Christmas. So, yeah. And now we just found out that my wife's father has some serious health issues and is mm-hmm. undergoing testing and it could be very, very serious. We're hoping it's not. But we'll find that out on like the 21st. Oh, no. So if it turned out to be something serious, everything would kind of stop and we'd go spend Christmas with them. Okay. So your question kind of is like, well, we have this idea of what we'd like to do. We'd like right. to just be more settled, do more stuff with our church and the community yep. we're part of here and have more focus on controlling the meaning of Christmas for our kids. Right. But I don't know if any of that's going to happen. <laughs> that's so hard. It's, uh, yeah, that makes yeah. sense to yeah. me. Mm. Uh, I resonate with both of you. Um, well, I was as I was thinking about this question is I would like to settle down the hustle and bustle. And um, like even yesterday, we made Christmas cookies and they looked horrible. <laughs> like every gingerbread man's arms were like ripped off and their eyes were like terrible. And I was like, wow, remember when I used to be a perfectionist? <laughs> we as in you and Matt or you and your kids? That's a good clarification. Yeah. Me and my one-year-old and three-year-old. Uh, and wow. there's just, I'm pretty sure I have sprinkles in my hair now. And I was like, <laughs> I could either spaz out right now and just go clean and crazy, or I could just sit with them and laugh and be. And so that's what I did. And Matt got home. And this is his like code for, wow, it's a big hot mess in here. He's like, hmm. Looks like you were really present with the girls. <laughs> I was like, yes, Understood. I was. Thanks for noticing. <laughs> All right. So now is a part of our podcast where we go to Goofball Island, which for those of you who've been listening, you're like, what is Goofball Island? It's from the movie Inside Out. Mm-hmm. And it's part of this little girl Riley's mind where she just has this like silly space. And so we recognize this podcast can be very serious. So we have intentional silliness and we're going to go to Goofball Island on a tandem bike. All right. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if a tandem bike sounds different than anything else, but... Um. Well, I think probably when you hear that little bell ringing, yeah. you can just imagine there are two people you yes. know, cranking the pedals. Yes, so. in a nice summer day. Yeah. All right, we're going to talk about gender roles. Um, and so where are you in your home? Very stereotypical of your gender. And where are you not at all? Yeah, when you asked this question, I thought about it. I was like, well, shoot. <laughs> uh, 
Where, if, if you had asked me that in the abstract, I would have said, well, I'm not super like traditional about gender roles. But yeah. then when I started to think about it, it's like I'm having a hard time thinking of areas where we're not stereotypically <laughs> yeah. gender roles. Which is fine. You are accepted right. here. Yeah. yeah. Well, but it's, it's not that we ever like sat down and decided like these are our roles. It's just kind of how it, it worked out. Uh, yeah. we, we homeschool. So I'm working um, at Calvin Seminary, though I often work from home. My wife is m the main thing she's focused on is teaching our kids uh, most of the subjects. So yeah. maybe maybe the uh, the most non-stereotypical thing that I do is I do teach some of the subjects. So then hmm. I'm, I'm the one who's, you know, doing school at home with my kids and yeah, in charge great. of them for those times. So I probably get a lot more home dad time than, you know, a typical family where you have a, a working uh, outside of the home dad and stay at home mom. Right. Yeah. I'm, I'm home doing things with the kids a lot more than that. And I really appreciate that. So I love it. Uh, I am, um, I'm, I'm convinced that Matt's a better homemaker than I am, not going to lie. So we split up our work time. We both work and we both try and parent. We have like one day where we're both like working a bajillion hours with one babysitter, poor girl. Uh, but we, um, we split it up. But when I get home from work on my work days, Matt's like, everything's peaceful. There's dinner made. And I get home and I'm like, wow, you're so good at this. <laughs> and then he gets home like yesterday and it's sprinkles everywhere and um when we are both home together he'll find like sharp knives lying around because i guess i have a lot of sharp knives i use throughout the day and he like picks them up and he looks at me and i'm like sorry and i'm like i i really do keep them alive when you're not here right. <laughs> he like looks at me skeptically but i'm pretty sure that like when matt goes to work god's like all right double up the angels we gotta get Lori's watching them. <laughs> so I that's where uh we are not stereotypical. I we are in the sense like I, I'm I'm a comforter. I, I really like to bake and like be with them that way and like create this like peaceful environment mostly in our home. Although Matt's a big helper, but definitely I think he's a better homemaker hmm. than I am. How about you? Well, um, we're not in the same, you know, stage of life with yeah, little, little kids at home still. But, uh, you know, we're stereotypical in that Kelly cooks. I don't like to go anywhere near the kitchen. Because it's like intimidating, scary. Mm, I don't know. It's just annoying. I, yeah. Boring. Uh, okay. You're I'm not lazy. trusted. I'm lazy. I'm lazy. <laughs> okay. That's what it comes down to. There's no place to, you know, everything you do in the kitchen, you're yeah. standing up. Dishes, <laughs> cooking. Yeah, you know, so there's True. that. True. I uh, it's, it's, Kelly does dishes. <laughs> she you know, just washes the dishes. Wheels that you is. in and feeds uh, you. <laughs> right, right. She works in the garden. I pay bills. That's what I do. Okay, that's that, good. So that's my, you know. But <laughs> we break stereotype. Um, Kelly is way more. She's more into power tools than I am. Awesome. In fact, I, you know, when we first got married, I had a bunch of tools because people uh -huh. give you tools so as a guy. What you do? Mm -hmm. And then when the rare times when I was like, I'm going to do something, I'm going to need that tool, I could never find it. Mm -hmm. And oh, so I've yeah. given up because she just she has commandeered all my tools. Yeah. I I do laundry. That's hey. something that your own or like the family the, the laundry family laundry oh, yeah. wow yeah i've had to go. dial back because you know i've got it i'm very particular about it and oh. if the kids don't put their stuff away yeah i have to like check my you know temper and that kind of thing but and you uh, can find you find that you can sit down while doing that <laughs> yes <laughs> well just that's the thing cards are folding friends. laundry you yeah. know i just like sit 
Yeah, set all this folding around me <laughs> as I'm like s- sitting on the couch. Right? Yeah. Bonbons. Why is it always bonbons? <laughs> anyway. All right. Well, here we go. We are going to shift now to the heart of the matter. Um, and Matt, whenever I have, we have guests here, we like to talk to them just about the gospel since that's the focus. And just when was it first good news for you? Yeah. So I grew up in a very kind of conservative Dutch reformed context. My dad was the pastor and my big crisis. I mean, I guess I'm an odd person this way, but my big crisis growing up was what are the likelihood that, you know, I just happened to be born into a church community that has its theology, right? And Mm. that we're the people who are going to be saved and other people out there are not. And that always just struck me as being too good to be true. Hmm. So, so I really wrestled with, I, I never had any problem knowing that I was a sinner or, or those sorts of things, mm-hmm. but I really wrestled with, um, is the gospel too good to be true? Is it just wishful thinking? Wow. And I thought that I had to work through all the dimensions of my tradition and my faith and sort of come to grips with everything. And I, and I couldn't do that. And, um, I, so I actually wrestled with doubt a lot all the way till I went to seminary. Wow. And, and um, Did you quietly wrestle? Like, was it just kind of your own internal? Mostly. I mean, there were a few people that I talked to, but it took a lot. I was afraid to, being a pastor's kid and all that. Um, wow. And my brother went to seminary and, you know, so it was a very sort of mm-hmm. religious, spiritual uh, family. Um, but I think, you know, during seminary, I started to meet regularly with a theologian named Michael Horton. And he had a way of helping me see that I actually didn't have to answer all my questions about reformed theology or about the authority of scripture Mm. or about, you know, creation and evolution and Noah's flood and all these kinds of different things that really the main thing I had to come to grips with was Jesus. Mm. And I think when, when I saw that, I real. Before that, I had, I had thought that, well, if, if I believe all this stuff, am I just doing it because this is the way I was raised or am hmm. I doing this because it's really true? Hmm. And I couldn't escape that. Hmm. I, had no, I had nothing to evaluate my tradition and my upbringing by that didn't seem like a sellout, hmm. if you know what I mean. Yeah. But he helped me to distinguish the gospel and distinguish Christ and who Christ is as being a separate thing from the Reformed tradition hmm. and and something that I could just embrace and rest on aside from all those other questions. Hmm. And since then, that has become my guiding light, that, that that has freed me to make the gospel my perspective from which I can now evaluate everything else, including my own tradition. Hmm. And it, it was very liberating for me in that. I think it, it was crucial for me to separate the good news of Christ from tradition hmm. and from the way I was raised. That's super refreshing for me to hear because you're a really smart dude. And I'm like, I know Jesus. And to hear you be like, yep, Jesus. <laughs> is, yeah. is that really refreshing? Yeah. Yeah. And we do tend to get hung up on matters of scripture, historical, you know, interpretation mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. scripture and and miss the core, the heart mm-hmm. of the gospel, which is mm-hmm. Christ. Right. Yeah. And he would, he would just, he would say things, you know, slogans that I remember to this day, he would say, you know, it's, it's the reformed tradition. It's the Christian faith. Mm-hmm. And he would say, you know, we believe ultimately we trust the Bible because we believe in Jesus, not mm-hmm. the other way around. Mm-hmm. Um, when he, when he taught us apologetics, how to, you know, talk about the Christian faith with non-believers, he, he would sort of cut through all the different arguments, but the best way to do that and says, really, the, what you want to do is as quickly as possible be talking about the crucified and resurrected Christ. 
Oh, so good. Um, yeah. So. So how does it? How does the gospel affect you still today? So here you are, your professor of moral ethic. What ethics? Moral ethics. Moral theology. Moral theology. Ethics, okay. Yeah. Ethics at Calvin Seminary. Um, you've got four young kids. Three. Three young kids. I just want to give you one more. Sure. You know, yeah. hopefully well. that's not a. <laughs> anyway, uh, so and um, you moved here recently. So how I don't know how is the gospel still good news for you still as you're teaching seminary students, but just in your real life. In a way, it, it's still an extension of what I was just saying. I mean, mm -hmm. I, I have a bit of I'm a perfectionist streak. Maybe everyone who has a PhD has to have something like that. <laughs> um, I, I always feel this pressure of sort of what what I could be doing with my life or what I should be doing with my life. As a moral theologian, you're constantly being faced with super controversial issues. I, and yeah. I, I sometimes feel like I walk around with a big poster hanging around my neck saying, ask me something controversial. And <laughs> there's always that pressure to speak into the things that people get most fired up about, which means also the things they get most offended about. Huh. And, and so there too, it's, it's so crucial for me that the gospel is actually the center of it and following yeah. Christ and being able to rest on that. So, you know, from when I was in seminary all, all to now, um, I would say the most important thing to me intellectually and just in my life has been to make sure that my, my approach to ethics to moral theology is gospel driven and gospel centered, yeah. that we never lose sight of that. If, because if I don't have that, then if Christ isn't real and I'm not following Christ and my hope isn't in Christ, then nothing that I'm doing is going to be worth anything. Right. And and I'm already saying so many things that people don't like that I just couldn't <laughs> handle that. Like, totally, it, it would all be, I'd, I'd be offending all these people and saying all these difficult things for nothing. For nothing. Who wants to live that way? No. <laughs> Preach. Uh, okay. So before we jump into the church and just what, what worries us, what excites us, I just want to ask, you know, how did you join up with me and us? Like, why did you say yes to, I guess, helping out with the Caring Well Conference? You helped us plan some of that. And we've spoken together a couple of times. Why, why did you join up with our controversial conversation? Yeah, well, um, I, don't, I think you had vaguely been on my radar, but not much. But I, I got into a dialogue with Nicholas Waltersdorf mm -hmm. about same-sex marriage. And you, were, you came up to me afterwards and were, said some very encouraging things. And I was mm -hmm. completely new to Michigan. I think I had just been up here for a few months, yeah, really. Yeah, yeah. And um, new to the Christian Reformed Church and mm -hmm. new to Calvin College. And yeah. I'm thrown into this thing. And, uh, and, and you had come up to me and then later, I think we met after that and you'd mm -hmm. said, you know, I think I really like what you're doing. I can help you do it better. <laughs> it's like, well, I can I use that. that. Yeah, <laughs> you did. And I was like, okay, that's, that's what I need. And, and someone like you who's in it and for whom it's so personal. And I, yeah. I felt, you know, terrified in that area, you know, yeah. I'm just talking about people's lives and, yeah. um, so, and when, when I heard you talk about it, uh, and I don't even remember when the first time that was, but. Uh, I, I, I felt like you you understand the sort of the gospel centered mm -hmm. uh, nature of the issue. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, my you have people on, on the one side who are just being reactionary mm -hmm. and you have people on the other side who just want to be affirming of everything. There are so few people who really understand what's at stake. Yeah. And why this is a gospel issue. Yep. And, uh, you know, honestly, I mean, maybe it's a little bit selfish, but I feel like I can learn so much from you that I'm mm -hmm. happy to just be along and do whatever I can <laughs> to help out along the way. Oh, I so appreciate it. And I feel the same way. And it's been so encouraging for me to meet with theologians such as yourself and just to be to encourage you back. 
in a sense that I'm like, I need you, a straight, white, smart man, to be able to speak into this conversation. Because in a lot of ways, you pave the road for me to be able to speak and be like, hey, here's what's true. Here's someone who's living it out. It's it's a microcosm of the church. And I think that can be like a macro image of the church as we, we really do. As we said in a meeting we had today, it's not just like, oh, we need each other. It's like, we need each other yeah. to build the kingdom. Well, and the reality is there's so few people who are willing to speak out in these kinds of areas with yeah. courage about yes. hard matters. And yeah. so we need each other. Amen. Which is leading really nicely into the next piece of our conversation. I guess as you look at the capital C church, just as we look at the church as a whole, what um, for both of you, Steve and Matt, what um, excites you and what worries you? So maybe let's start with like, what? So what's a concern? What's a worry? Um, for me, the worry is that we're in such a politicized, polarized culture that unless you're deeply careful and self-conscious about it, you're going to be driven either to the right or to the left. Yeah. In and every conversation. In every conversation. Yeah. It's happening politically. It's destroying our country in some ways. Yeah. Um, and the same thing is, is wreaking havoc in the church. So mm -hmm. I worry that the people who really care about orthodoxy are just going to become reactionary and they're mm -hmm. going to miss the liberating power of the gospel yeah. and the affirming power of the gospel. Yep. And I worry that the people on the left are going to be so focused on being affirming that they're going to lose sight of sort of the crucifying nature of the Christian life and what mm. it means to die and rise with Christ. Mm. And um, yeah, yeah, to, to go that, that sort of hard path that's the only ultimately life-giving path. Uh, well said. For me, I'm just starting to look at this and think about this. And I, I think what I see in myself is a tendency to huddle, you know, to stay in a safe uh, setting, to not think so much about discipleship, but just think about how we serve one another, hmm. how I am served and how I can serve those who are like me that I love and yeah. just kind of keep inside this fortress of safety, you know, totally. And I see Jesus saying, make disciples, Yeah, go mm -hmm. make disciples. Mm. And I'm like, what does that look like for me? How do I respond and obey that? Right. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that's what I guess I see. And I'm concerned about for myself and for uh, other people in my church like me, I guess. Mm -hmm. Totally. I love how you, you bring that back. Uh, Steve in our podcast, how you, I just love how you care about your own, you know, straight white male. Yeah. I don't even know what generation you're in to be honest with you. X. Generation X. X. Yep. Like how you just are like, I want, I care about them. And it's like, you have this like desire to like shake them and, and shake yourself. Yeah. And I just appreciate that humility so much. Um, I too, I just have such a burden for, for millennials and younger and something that is uh, just grieves me is when I talk with them and, and we are afraid of studying we're afraid of really studying what the Bible says and like eating it in the sense that it's like we don't hunger and thirst for righteousness. We don't hunger and thirst for the word. And and I think it's because it's hard, to be honest. And I think and we're super I know we talk about this too much, but we're super addicted to our phones. Mm -hmm. I can be. We're super addicted to just like mm -hmm. the Instagram hit and the images. And I'm it, it takes hard work. It takes dedication of waking up. And it's my dad told me this when I was very young, but he's like, Lori, it's like eating oatmeal to read the word. And he's like, sometimes it just tastes bad. 
I'm like, there's no sugar, no, I like it like sprinkles and brown sugar, and whipped cream. And he's like, it's sometimes it's just oatmeal and it's just good for you. And you just do it because you get in the habit of it. And so I'm concerned for our generation because it's like, we're just whatever, if it feels good, do it. And it's what, what, what I see the fruit of this is we're all looking at each other. Like, why are we all so depressed? And why are we all so lonely? And I'm like, well, could be because we, we, there's someone who wrote not a rule book, but a love story and then also mm-hmm. demonstrated it. And we're like, no, I know what's best. And so I say this not to shame, but I say this to, to look at my own heart, but to be like, you guys, we, we need to hunger and thirst for the word. And I think we feel our hunger sometimes, mm-hmm. but we aren't pursuing what could actually make us full. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I also do political theology in some ways. That's my biggest passion. And America is a great country and it was established on the basis of this right of the pursuit of happiness. Yeah. That's a wonderful thing. I wouldn't want to live in any other time and place. I'm so grateful to be an American. Yeah. But what that opens it up to is the massive temptation of idolatry. Yeah. And, and America's pursuit of happiness has given rise to certain forms of idolatry rooted in materialism, yes. rooted in sexual fulfillment, rooted yes. in security. Yep. And the right and the left each have their own preferred idols. Absolutely. And I think that's why, I mean, yeah, they're so alluring. When you're in a society that promises to give you so much happiness, yeah. and then you have a gospel that says, hey, why don't you do this path of suffering? I mean, who's going to do that path of suffering? Right. Everybody's going to want to do that path towards happiness. And so yeah. most of us, even in the church, are doing that. Yes, we and, are. And, and it doesn't matter how conservative or liberal your church is. That's probably the massive temptation facing your youth and facing most people. Yeah. And it's not going to satisfy. No. It's, it's going to seem like it will, but it won't. And so a lot of the sort of the malaise and the depression and discouragement yep. that we see in the church is the fact that we think we're so faithful, but we've, we're pursuing idols more than we're pursuing Christ. Absolutely. I had someone asking me yesterday and she's like, well, why, why are you doing, and we talk about this some when we talked about suffering, like that hard job. And I just was like, I really feel called to it. I was like, I, my default is comfort. My default is the easy route. And that's not like I, even mm-hmm. starting this ministry, my thought was, I really want to help people who want to be helped. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I just want, and really it's an idol if I want the smiling faces at mm. me of people just be like, thanks, you're so, you're so great. And then all of a sudden right. I have antagonists and things like that. Not all, there are the people who are really grateful, but I am finding, which this atheist friend who was talking with me, she, she was like, why are you choosing that? She's that's, that's not freedom is really right. what she was saying. And I was like, I inexplicably find joy in the midst of burning out from the Lord yeah. and in, in this suffering. And it, it, it's so interesting to look through her eyes. Cause she's just like, that's insane. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, yep, you're right. The Bible's crazy. Right. Well, but it reminds me of the story in John, and I can't remember chapter and verse, but Jesus is saying some hard things and the crowds leave him, right? Only the disciples are left and it's like, okay, are you guys going to leave too? And they they kind of want to, but they say, well, Lord, to whom else can we go? You have the words of eternal life. So sometimes I feel like I don't want to touch this stuff. I want to go away and do something much more fun and exciting. Yeah. so you feel that too in oh, your yeah. job because you're like, I'm just, it, I have this big billboard on me of like, t- ask me something difficult and I'm going to make you mad. Yeah. My, my first love was actually history. Like uh-huh. I love history yeah. and it's a lot and, and it's a lot less consequential in some ways if mm-hmm. you can just like study interesting things that happened in the past yeah. and, and write about that without yeah, having right. to make any judgments based on right. it. But I, I felt this sense of vocation to do something more significant than that. 
and oh. to speak into some of these difficult issues. But it's very much vocation that drives that, not yeah. necessarily just a love for it. Mm. If, if I just did what I love to do, I would just read history and wow. play hockey. Those are the <laughs> things that I would do. <laughs> yeah. I was just, uh, I have been reading Acts because I'm really wrestling with, what does the church look like? How do yeah. I be the church? Yeah. And um, this is just bringing me back to um, John and Peter. Mm-hmm. Um, rejoicing yeah. that the Lord counted them worthy mm-hmm. to suffer uh, to suffer shame yes. for his sake. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm like, okay, that's what the gospel cost them. That's mm-hmm. what it is. And that's why, again, this is like goes back to like the why we need to be reading and eating the word. Because when I read, it encourages me in this difficult vocation and encourages us in this calling to be the church 365 days of the year. And it's when we look at the world and compare it to our desires, we're like, oh, well, I'm going to go with the world. But if we look at the word and then look at the words, like, doesn't match. How can I align myself with the word, not the world? Hmm. So what are you guys excited about then about the church? Yeah, I mean, I think because I think the church has been seduced by these various forms of idolatry for so long and we've got so caught up with the American dream. Um. This is now an opportunity to sort of be woken up to that. Yep. Um, All of a sudden, we have these people in the church that we can lump together and call LGBT Mm -hmm. people Mm -hmm. as if they're somehow different from the rest of us. And by their not simply taking old pat answers, Mm. but they're pushing us Mm. to say, no, wait, how does the gospel speak to me? How does it give me life? Mm. Um, That's forcing the rest of us, I think, the rest of the church to sort of yeah, well, what is the whole thing about sexuality? What does it mean to follow yes. Christ? And and as we do that, they are forcing us to realize how hypocritical we've been and how mm. much we've had our own sort of pet sins that we've tolerated in the church. And so there's this opportunity to sort of um, embrace these hard issues and, you know, difficult people. Yeah, he's right? doing air quotes around that. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> um, to, to embrace that as an opportunity to once again become the church and to see broken people as a gift to the church who remind us that we're all broken people, that we're really all in the same boat. Yep. And so, um, you know, I I think it's an opportunity for the church to once again be the church Mm. and to see LGBT people as us. Yeah. And and to recover what that means to Mm. together live into the death and resurrection of Christ. Yeah, I would just step in and echo that as far as... um, I was talking with someone today who I've um, just talked with throughout the years and she was in same sex relationship. And now um, she did, she did this study. She read, you know, Matthew Vine's book. She read Preston's book and got to a place where um, she was like, I don't know. I don't know how to come to the answer. And then the Holy spirit just really spoke to her and she became convicted by the cross. And like, I need to give this up and just wept. There's like some grieving as far Mm -hmm. as like, this is I'm giving up my desires. She was just giving up a dream that she had for her life, like her image. And um, it was so neat to just talk with her and to see over these conversations we've had over the years and then to follow up with her today. And I was like, you know what? You seem not weaker as a result of this, but like I, I could almost just envision this like fire that came over her and like how that draws to consume and that gold to refine. Like she was becoming refined um, and not just because that's her struggle and that's what she decided, but that was a version of how the gospel is good news for her today. And so to, to watch her go from someone who is just like, ah, oh, just really her identity 
in at all was just she just was lost like she just seemed like really like fractured and wrestling and so to see her now like not like less than and emaciated as a result mm-hmm. of this death to self but like empowered and so i just said keep going sister like god is doing a good thing in the church mm-hmm. so with these people lgbt people however with you sitting in this room i see this like fire ripping through the church right now and it's like that's awesome to see what gold is rising to the surface Mm -hmm. because it's people who are strong and i'm like let's partner up Mm because we need each other yeah but the key is that that can only happen if the church is the place where we're we're free to tell the truth yes about who we are and we're free to be who we are Mm -hmm. and live as our sinful selves into this gospel yes and and too often in the past the church hasn't been a space where that could happen no no. so so this is a huge opportunity for the church to again be that kind of place where we can do that amen which is why i'm so grateful to be able to share my, my story because in the past it's been the worst one that's been the one that's like in the corner we don't mm-hmm. talk about it. it's in the basement mm-hmm. and so to be able to bring it to the forefront and god empowering me and people like me and like you all to be able to be like we can talk about that here mm-hmm. and you're still wrestling like to be it frees people it's the power of our testimony to right. be like wait me me too it, is that accurate for yeah, you guys well, and, and and not only that but like you know, Ed Shaw talks about this in his book, and, mm-hmm. and I certainly had this when I read his book and read Wesley Hill's book, and when I've met you, that, wow, the, you know, gay and lesbian Christians are the most Christ-like people I know. <laughs> you know, that that flips the narrative a little bit here. Yeah. How much do we have to learn? Yeah. Yeah. And it is a community that really brings um, a whole other dimension. I see, you know, what Jesus looks like working in the life of somebody unlike me. Yeah. And it just brings a new uh, element of richness to the church. Yeah. That's what I've been impressed with just over, you know, over the last few months. Yeah. And I think what we need in the church and what the world needs is to see Jesus. Yes. His power. Yep. His love. Yep. And how he transforms us, how he brings us from death to life. Mm. We can read about that, but the church mm-hmm. is like a living example of it. Yes. Mm-hmm. Is that some of what you're excited about, Steve, yes. or what? Okay. Yeah, that, that gets to what what my hope and what I get excited about as I, as I envision it yeah. is just this return to the Holy Spirit moving in yeah. power, you know, and Absolutely. actually being the, the source of life and energy and power in the church. Yep. So people keep telling me, you know, Lori, like that people who are like coming up against what everything like just the, the the polarity that we're seeing like screaming we're do we're seeing on both sides that may be um what people are doing on both sides but if we can weather that storm mm-hmm. if we can choose not to fight back if we can shape our lives to look like the cross and be like no i'm gonna turn the other cheek i'm gonna mm-hmm. respond with humility and strength but humility uh i think that's that's the that's the burning off of the the dross is my saying that right mm-hmm. and and helping people to stand as a church and that's like super exciting yeah all right well this was good it's always <laughs> so fun to do these i've always come in so tired and by the end i'm like this was amazing it's so fun so um we were so grateful to have you all listening and i'm gonna remember to do the question of the week okay <laughs> i am looking for it what is a what's a hope we're talking about hope today that you have for this next year and maybe it's specifically about our nation maybe it's about the church but just like what's a hope that you have for the new year hmm. and next week we will have matt 
Krieg back. I have a <laughs> lot of Matts in my life. I'm not gonna lie. Everyone needs to go by their last name or Matthew or M. No, that's just weird. Uh, but Matt Krieg is actually going on a silent retreat this weekend, oh. and I'm going next weekend. So maybe we'll talk about that next week, just what that was like. Um, he's like, I, he's really looking forward to it. Our house is very noisy. Does that mean I'm going to have to like carry the whole conversation? Yeah, like, I'm going to be the only one talking on the podcast. Oh, <laughs> we're not sorry, ta- everyone. <laughs> we're not taking a vow of silence. Okay. We're just going on like a two-day retreat. So. Okay. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, thanks so much, Matt Tuninga. Thank you so much for being on this podcast with us. Just really insightful and love your heart and just your mind and just what you bring to the church. Yeah, thank you. It's really my pleasure. So I appreciate it. All right. And if you want to follow up with Matt Tuninga, just ask him some questions. Uh, you can follow him at matthewtuninga.wordpress.com. I'm sure you can find him on Facebook um, and you can follow him on Twitter as well. And he can answer, you could stump the prof. <laughs> <laughs> Not hard. <laughs> all right. Well, thanks so much for listening. And we, for all of us here, we will see you next week. Thanks for listening to the Hole in My Heart podcast. The gospel is good news for everybody every day. Explore HIMHministries.com for all that Matt and Lori Krieg have to offer, including previous episodes. You can also find us and we hope you'll subscribe in Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and tune in. And if you'd like to answer our question of the week, or if you have any questions or suggestions, email us at podcast at himhministries.com. 